uh, a trust is a set of rules. It's a fiduciary document. It's, it's a little different from a will um, in some respects, but you know, they're not just for rich people. <laughs> they're, you know, we use them here, you know, in, in all cases, you know, to protect assets, uh, in, you know, from, from, you know, people from all backgrounds. Yeah. And typically your biggest asset would be your house. So if you've not accumulated wealth, um, but you have a house that's paid for, keep in mind that if you need care, Medicaid will aggressively come back after your house. So putting it in a trust is a way for you to really protect that investment that you've made. Um, so, you know, trusts are um, not that expensive in comparison to the cost of nursing home care. And so that's, you know, it, again, we can talk with you individually about uh, what that looks like. But yeah, it's really for, for anybody who's trying to preserve something. Good to know. And, you know, how, how is a trust funded? Like, you know, we just put, like you said, you put the house in the trust. Is that like, can you put like stocks and you know, or things of what kind of assets go in into the trust? So um, we talked about the house. Basically, it's a deed for the property. So you put, you know, uh, the attorney prepares a deed, you sign it, it's, it's titled in the name of the trust, then your trust owns it. Um, you can transfer anything to a trust except for vehicles, um, retirement accounts, so IRAs, uh, and you also can can, I'm going to say you can and you can't transfer savings bonds into a trust. It's very complicated to do that, um, but you can transfer them. Um, there's just a lot of steps to go through, but mainly you can put anything in a trust. And the way it is, is just retitling those assets. So let's say you have an annuity and it started out at $20,000. You've had it for 20 years. Now it's worth $50,000. You don't cash it out. What you do is with the company, you just fill out paperwork to name a new owner, which would be the trust. The new uh, the trust becomes the owner of that, and now it's protected. Um, and because the trust keeps uh, everything under your social security number, there's no taxable event, so you're not going to pay taxes on that. Um, so it's really just a retitling of what you own. So the only um, thing that we can't really retitle are credit union accounts. So credit unions don't allow irrevocable trust, but any bank, any investment, um, with the exception of those retirement accounts that I mentioned. And uh, I think uh, Tammy had mentioned before about uh, your house as an example. If your house is free and clear, um, sometimes uh, you know mortgages. They don't really like it when you put it into a trust. Uh, they don't let you mortgage it if it's titled in the name of a trust in some instances. So that's something to keep an eye out for when it comes to your primary residence. It all depends on the, the, the mortgage company or the bank. So we, we got the assets into the trust. Who um, holds that proverbial key unlocking the trust? Yeah, that's what's really nice about these trusts. Um, you are the trustee if you choose to be. So if I'm setting up a trust, I'm the grantor of that trust, but I also can be the manager, which is known as the trustee. So if I put my annuity in there and it's worth $50,000 and I decide I don't like this annuity anymore, I'm going to cash it out and move it over to an investment firm. I, as the trustee, have the power to do that. I'm making all investment decisions. 
including if it, my house is in the trust, I'm deciding if I sell my house and I buy a new house. Now you do want to list a backup trustee. So if you're unable to do it, you would have successors in place, just like those powers of attorneys that Chris talked about. How about uh, some key differences uh, between a will and a trust? So we didn't we didn't really talk about wills yet. Well, um, yeah. Okay. So, you know I can you know we can cover a will and I can give you you know a couple yeah, of the key differences. Yeah. Why so, don't we do that? Yep. You know your last will and testament. Uh, typically, that's part of a, you know what we refer to as foundational documents, along with those POAs. Uh, you you know you you draft a will for when you die. Your powers of attorney are operable during your life. As soon as you die, your powers of attorneys go away, your will controls, whatever you have in your will is as how your beneficiaries are going to receive what you want them to receive and how you know it's your uh, personal representative or executor uh, will carry out your, your last wishes. Um, so it's a, you know, it's a fairly important document. Um, you don't really want to deal with uh, the laws of intestacy here in Pennsylvania. It's a, uh, you know, it's a complicated process um, to, uh, you know, deal with going to probate court, getting a personal representative uh, or an administrator appointed. And it's, it's also a little more costly on the uh, attorney end um, for us to, to deal with intestacy. So if you have a will in place, you're able to name uh, a specific person to be your executor. You're able to name beneficiaries. Um, and with, with, uh, you know, your will, one of the more important things that we put in there is something called the, the bypass clause, the bypass language. So in, uh, you and your spouse are typically the people who you give your estate to when you die. So one or the other. Now, what happens if your uh, spouse will say, you know, you, you're perfectly healthy, but your spouse is not, and he or she is in a nursing home at that time. You do not want to give your entire estate to that spouse that's in a nursing home because guess who's going to get it? The nursing home. <laughs> so, you know, we talk a lot, a lot about that here, avoiding paying them, you know, from your hard-earned, uh, you know, life's work. Um, so, you know, that's one of the things we look for when we review older documents and older wills to see if that bypass language is there because that's that's very important when it comes to that. Um, also, uh, with your will, you can make specific bequests to, you know, uh, if you have a lot of kids, uh, you have uh, charities, churches, you know, you want to give money to. If you have a, uh, you know, for example, a large collection of silver or silver plate, and you really want one person to get that silver or silver plate, you can put that in there so it doesn't go into what's called your rest residue and remainder to be, you know, sold and, uh, you know, your beneficiaries, you know, usually split it equally. So it's, you know, it's, it's a very customizable document and it's, it's very important. So, um, and one thing I did forget to mention is, uh, in your will, you can, if you have beneficiaries that are, uh, under a certain age, you know, under 18, uh, or under 25, you can appoint somebody to be a, a guardian of that benefit they receive from your will if they're not of age. So if you have a, uh, you know, a grandchild that's, you know, maybe 20 <laughs> or, you know, a teenager and you don't, you know, you don't expect to be around for when they are in their 20s and you want to give them a large amount of money or, you know, a large piece of property or something, 
you want to, you know, appoint somebody there to be the guardian of that till a certain age. And, you know, the, the standard language you use is 25, but, you know, if somebody wants a different number, we, we usually put it in there as long as it's, you know, over, over the age of 18. And um, one of the primary differences between a will and a trust, and I'll, I'll go back to the beginning when I talked about intestacy, even when you do have a will, you, you die what's called testate, and uh, you have to go through probate, which is, again, uh, a fairly expensive process. Um, you know, you got to pay court fees, and you got to pay attorney's fees. Whereas in the trust, uh, you can have, you know, the same beneficiary scheme for what's in the trust that was in your will, and those, uh, you know, property, money, you know, whatever you, you want, assets, will be distributed however you want in the trust, and that passes outside of probate. Now, uh, one of the questions that Tammy and I hear a lot is questions about taxes. You're not going to avoid taxation. <laughs> it, uh, Pennsylvania has a 4.5% uh, um, inheritance tax. So whether it passes through probate, you know, through through your will, intestacy, or through a trust, you're still, uh, you're, well, you're, you're not, your estate will have to pay 4.5% uh, inheritance tax on the, on the assets. So I, like you say, you were talking taxes, so none of them are avoidable. The inheritance tax, I mean, they're, the Uncle Sam's going to get his money one way or the other, huh? Well, not, not Uncle Sam in Pennsylvania. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, the, the Department of Revenue here. Now, that's a good, good way to, to mention what's called the, uh, the federal estate tax. So uh, if you have the problem, and I suppose it's a good problem to have, if you're a married couple and you have you know, the combined assets of $22 million, then you're going to be facing federal estate tax. Um, and you'll have to pay, you know, the federal government and estate tax on as well as Pennsylvania. If you're a single person, it's 11 million. Now, uh, I think next year it's going up to like 22 million, uh, 22 and a half, maybe 22, seven million. So it, it's going up. There was some talk about it being lowered uh, to like five or six million or eight million, but that you know, I don't. That's the political headwinds, and we're trying to avoid politics. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Are you know, not really in the direction for that to, to occur. So, you know, rest assured, if you if you don't have twenty two million dollars as a married couple or eleven million dollars, you won't have to pay the federal government at a state tax. But if you do, you know, we also have tools here. For planning at that level. So when we when we do a, an estate administration, and I don't really want to get too far down into those woods, uh, what we try to do is we try to uh, fill out these inheritance tax returns and administer your estate to save you the most money. So um, one example is uh, I think the prepaid burial, or actually not even a prepaid burial, your burial cost is something that is a deduction um, if you have a house and you're giving it to your kids, um, and they're not selling it, they're deciding to keep it. We usually tell those kids or those beneficiaries to have an appraisal done. That's something that's a deduction. And there, you know, I could go on about the deductions to the inheritance tax, but like I said, I don't want to go too far down that oh. road. Now you're subject to the, your beneficiaries, your, your estate will have to pay four and a half percent. Um, 
siblings have to, if you give, you know, to a sibling, it's 12% and then nieces, nephews, anybody else, they have, it's 15%. So when, when this is uh, one of the reasons why, when we do the, the pre-planning, we encourage people to get that, that trust executed. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll use the house as an example. That's our easiest example. You know, the five-year look back starts the day that that deed is, you know, or that house is gifted to the trust. And then that works for any other asset that you put in. So it goes, so you'd still be subject to, to a, a, a penalty period if you were to get into the Medicaid planning, which Tammy knows, she has an encyclopedic knowledge of that. I don't, but I just know that, you know, when you give something, that's when the, the, the toll begins, the time begins. Uh, question in the chat, uh, does PA inheritance tax exempt spouses? Yes. Yeah. So you, like I said, that you know, you usually you name your spouse first to be your your, your beneficiary when you die. So everything goes right to them. And you know, unless again, you have the to deal with the the bypass language I mentioned before, which you know we strongly strongly tell people like to 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 have your documents reviewed for that that kind of uh, instance because that's one of the things we look for here. When can you give the five hundred per month? Yeah, so, so the $500 per month is in a calendar month. So literally when you apply for Medicaid benefits, they're going to look at all of your financial statements for five years prior to application. And in the month of November, if you gave one kid 300 and another kid 600, you've gone over your 500. So they're looking at a calendar month, November 1st through the end of the month, December 1st through the end of the month. 